This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today. Welcome back. What is up? Hey, we're here. It's sunny. It's San Diego. Yes, it's kind of hot out today. What else is new? <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, we're back in the studio. Yes, we Beautiful, are. Beautiful uh, April day. And this is another episode of the Sober Life Audio Experience. Yeah, brought to you by your your lovely host, Brian. And, and, and myself. Roman, Roman. Brawley. Dun, yeah. Dun, dun. So we have an awesome guest in the studio today. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend comes to us from the North County Quadrant, uh, an expert in the treatment of substance abuse disorder, Mr. David Gray. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, welcome to the show. Nice hey, introduction. We're I'll see if I can live up to it. Yeah, yeah. we're happy to have you. Awesome. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, we'll uh, we'll jump right into it. We usually go in with uh, three very important questions, and then we'll uh, get your take on treatment, a little bit of a little bit of background about you, and see where the show goes. Certainly, awesome. So we usually start with a couple questions for guests, and question number one is, "What is your vision? What is my vision yeah, for? For you know, for your life, for yourself, for the world, for the world, whatever. Yeah, just." Just what is your vision? So pretty globally, huh? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I think my life is really dedicated and committed to recovery. I'm very passionate about it as somebody who suffered for years from the effects of not being in recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I guess I kind of, you would view it, I consider myself a teacher and I really enjoy teaching others how to experience healing and wellness themselves. Right. So as somebody who is rather barefoot, cactus-kicking, stubborn, and defiant, (laughs) I I kind of know what it's like to not have learned when I needed to and what it was like to learn when I needed to. And now it's kind of a a real passion and a mission to be a part of that in other people's lives and journey as well. Awesome. Got it. Sounds like being of service, causing healing. Being a part of the change. Yeah, Yeah. standing as source for a transformed world. And, and, you know, I'd say one of the things I've really learned is uh, not to take credit for the success or blame for the failure. Mm -hmm. But I sure allow myself to take a lot of joy and satisfaction in the success. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's happening today more than any time it ever has before in our history uh, in treatment. Oh, I love it. Uh, that, you know, people are coming in and getting well today because I, I think as a, uh, a profession, we understand addiction a lot better today and we're able Absolutely. to teach it a lot more effectively. Awesome. So those that are willing to do their part benefit from that. And uh, we have right. some, you know, uh, uh, people that are successfully getting into recovery and staying in recovery. It's pretty cool. Boom. Amazing. From the man himself. Boom. Yeah. Love it. Let's go right <clears throat> into question number two. Certainly. What do you love? Wow. Yeah. Love. Heavy. What do you love? I love love. Oh, love. damn. How about that? He loves love. <laughs> I he think that's the, most, that's the most powerful healing thing that we have in existence. I'll even quote something from Narcotics Anonymous. The therapeutic value of one addict helping another is without parallel. 
Mm. Right? So nothing is equal to or greater than. How does that happen? That happens because of love and fellowship and connection and attachment. Wow. So, I dig it. And there's the healing power of recovery, right? Mm-hmm. As we do this together, as we experience fellowship and connection mm-hmm. and connectedness, the most wonderful thing we ever experience in love is the, or that we ever experience in life is the acquisition of love by mm-hmm. far the most painful thing we ever experience is the loss of it. Mm. So, wow. you know, deep, truly love is all we need. Yeah. Damn. I, w- w- didn't we hear a song about that one time too? I, I think somewhere. so. Yeah. I yeah. might be pilfering that from yeah, somewhere. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You just came it. straight out of the gate with some heavy hitting stuff. Oh, it's good stuff. I, and you know, I've, I've had many wonderful teachers, mentors, guides, and way showers along the line who have right. really been able to show me and, uh, I, I like to say the best thing I ever did for my own recovery was get out of the way enough so it could happen in my life. Ooh, right. <laughs> in fact, yeah. take it even a step further. It wasn't the fullness of me. It was the absence of me that allowed me to become fulfilled. Mm. So can we get out of the way enough so that this thing called recovery can happen in our lives? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, deep. So or surrender, in. let go of control, get out of the way. Surrender, man. baby. Yeah. Get yeah. out of the way. Love I, it. I dig it. I dig yeah. it. Going to question number three. Question number three. What is one book that has greatly impacted or shaped your life? Well, I would say there's probably two of them. Um, From a recovery standpoint, it's got to be the Narcotics Anonymous basic text. I Mm. I think that's probably the best book ever written on what is addiction and what is recovery. Nice. And when you're a diehard dope fiend like me, if Mm -hmm. you don't understand that and accept that, you'll never have freedom from it. Right. So that book really helped me to start my journey onto recovery. I, I think it's one of the most profound books ever written and divinely inspired. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of divinely inspired, probably my second favorite book would be the Bible. Mm. I, I think there's some beautifully spiritually profound instruction there and guidance in yeah. how we can live and live healthfully. You yeah. got any uh, favorite books in there, in that book? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Specifically, <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. So okay. people can look it up, and there's your direction and guidance on what to do there you uh, go. as far as spiritual direction. And the rest of the chapter is the results of what can then happen if you do your part. Hey, now, because, wisdom. See, we have to do our part first. This is a huge mistake people make in the process of recovery. Mm-hmm. The one thing nobody can do for us is our part. Right. And mm-hmm. while we have to do our part ourselves, we don't do it by ourselves. Mm. Right. But no matter how good the teachers are around you, you don't do your part yourself, you're not going to be getting better. Right. So, Absolutely. And I, I think spirituality even teaches us that. I, I love this saying, and I apologize in advance. I've got like a million and one favorite <laughs> No, sayings. keep them coming. Um <laughs> You you know you've you've heard this uh, faith can move mountains. Yeah yeah yeah. Saying right, if faith can move the mountains. Oh nice nice. <laughs> so and I heard somebody say it one time this way: faith may move mountains, but you better get a shovel. Mm. And then of course I've taken that and complicated it to and right next to the shovel store is a boot store. You better be getting some boots because those flip flops ain't going to mm-hmm. be helping you to dig too well. And you know right next right. to the shovel store and the boot store there's a glove store because mm-hmm. you better not stop digging after two hours saying, man, I got all these blisters on my hands. I can't right. dig anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Because God, as I understand him, is going to say, dude, right next to that shovel store and that boot store was a glove store. Why didn't you get some gloves? Mm-hmm. Right. You knew you were going to be digging. So, no yeah. excuses. You know, we, we've got to do our part. Right. And if we do it, we get better. 
And we have the tools readily available, like you said. Oh, absolutely. You know, the one store is right next to the, yeah. the other store. Yeah. So and, we have the tools. We just have to do the work. And, and, you know, when the student's ready, the teachers will appear, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. So I, I know the first time I went to treatment at the age of 19, I was surrounded by incredibly gifted, talented teachers, and I mm -hmm. learned almost nothing from them. Yeah, I was going to go into that and say, you know, talk about what what equates to readiness i mean it takes to take an action but i mean what what gets someone to that to that space in their life where they're ready to do something it's a four letter word it's called pain <laughs> right and then <clears throat> when the pain of remaining the same becomes greater than the pain of change mm. change will occur damn mm -hmm. so and you know think about it we get better according to the best of our willingness right nothing to do with talent ability potential um mm -hmm. Certainly nothing to do with intelligence. Right. right. I've, I've never met anybody too dumb for recovery, <laughs> but I've sure met a lot of people too smart. Too smart. Yep. So yeah. we got to definitely watch that, not outsmart ourselves. Absolutely. Somebody, yeah. somebody comes into treatment and I say, so tell me about some of your, your character assets. What are some of your strengths? And they'll say, well, I'm highly intelligent. And I'll say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. And <laughs> we may need to list that as one of your weaknesses. Yeah. What are your strengths? So. <laughs> Right. I dig it. Yeah. So David, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, I mean maybe where you're from, you grew up, and kind of how you ended up where you're at. You're working at a treatment center. Welcome. You know, we're working at Casa Palmera up in North County. And, yeah. and how did you end up there? Well, I've been working in the field now for almost 24 years. So kind of wow. part of my story is... Uh, uh, you know, I took the hard way getting here, like I mentioned earlier, a little bit of barefoot cactus kicking. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like at the age of 13, I smoked my first joint, drank my first beer, and woke up 20 years later in my fifth rehab. <laughs> and uh, a lot of that was just because I wasn't ready. Right. Um, I remember in rehab number five, I'm complaining and griping, you know, I've heard all this stuff before. Right. And that was fairly true. I was kind of like becoming a professional patient, right? Right. And, yes. You know, I had this attitude like, oh, I could get up there and do half of these groups as good as half of the therapist right, here right. in this facility. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, you know, uh, obviously impressed with what I know. I'm telling this therapist, you know, yeah, I want to hear something new and different. You know, I've heard this stuff before. Right. And as I tell my story, he had the nerve to look at me and say, David, maybe what needs to change most is the ears you hear it with. Mm. Oh, ah, I mean, where do these people come up with these rude, <laughs> inconsiderate sayings? Right. Yeah. But, you know, of course he was right. So that landed yeah. with you in that moment? You know, in that moment, it just pissed me off. Uh-huh. And I, I felt like, once again, here is somebody not really understanding and just kind of, you know, being sarcastic and right. condescending, throwing some stupid cliche at me. Right. But it started resonating, really, that, you know, when I was alone in my room that night and I was looking in the mirror and... There was uh, nobody else there. It's like, uh, I knew they were right. Mm. And, you know, that's when I really kind of started making that turn, realizing, you know, it's not them, they, he, she, or it in my life that's the source of my problems. It's me, and I need to start doing something to change. And mm -hmm. unless I do, them, they, he, she, or it are always going to somehow be to blame for yeah. my problems and I'm never going to get any better. Well, that takes yeah. a degree of honesty too for that yeah. to happen. Yeah. You, you know, know, humility and honesty, the two most important essential things for recovery yeah. to occur. Absolutely. So I heard a speaker one time uh, years ago and this was cool because he wasn't a recovery guy or a 12 step guy. Okay. And so he says, there's two things absolutely essential for emotional and spiritual growth to occur. And without these two things, they are so essential that emotional and spiritual growth not only will not occur, it cannot. 
And these two things, and then he went on like that for about 15 minutes in a way that I found extremely irritating at the time. <laughs> and, and I remember when he finally gave the answer to what those two mysterious things were, I was like, I wanted my money back. It's like, what are you, master of the obvious? I could get right. up there and say that. Mm-hmm. And when he eventually said what they were, he said, and they are honesty and humility. And every day since, now again, I heard this over 22 years ago, every day since that has been proven to me to be truer. Right. That without honesty and humility that we bring forward into the healing arena, Mm -hmm. we do not heal, we do Mm -hmm. not and will not get better uh, because they're that important. What stops that that from happening? I mean, what, what keeps an addict away from going there? I mean, you would think the consequences, the... The broken relationships, the the pain, the problems, the, the pain. problems. Yeah. What has us addicts, you know, so deluded at times, or or committed to being right about our story and stuck? Well, I I would like to say, don't underestimate the power of denial. Okay. I mean, seriously, yeah. right? So a good acronym for denial: don't even know I am lying. Yeah. Mm. Right. Uh, when we're in denial, we really believe what we're saying. Right. And mm-hmm. one of the benefits about having a really good support system is we hook up with people that don't co-sign our BS. Right. Mm. You know, and I used to say those people in my life saved my life, but that's not true because they'd really always been there. Mm-hmm. When I became willing to listen to those people in my life, it saved my life. Your mm-hmm. life changed. Yeah. Yeah. Because I realized the thing most needing to change in my life was me. Mm-hmm. And I had a serious living problem. I didn't know how yeah. to live and I needed a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Correct, And then this gets back to humility and honesty, right? It's like, right. hey, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't have the answers. I need help. Can you right. please show me what to do? Mm. And and then surrounding yourself with people that may have answers, right? Well, yeah. May have the guidance sure. and the tools necessary. I, I think we all know how to surround ourselves with the people that are just going to co-sign our BS. For sure. Right. right? For sure. You know, so, hey, you know, I can, yeah. you know, find enough people and just kind of give them my pitch until they end up telling me what I want to hear. But, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, that's just continuing to be manipulative and play the right. game. Right. 100%. So. so, David, you mentioned, uh, you know, treatment being a lot more effective today earlier in this conversation. What What are some of the things that you're noticing that are working that that you're that brings you joy to see what what's working and then and then we'll get on the other side of that question here in a little bit. Well but. I would I would kind of answer that this way. I'm a real understanding and acceptance junkie. Okay. You know, I don't think we get better without understanding and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So and then it's really hard to accept something we don't understand. Mm-hmm. So we got a we got, you know, patients coming through the doors. How well are they doing understanding and accepting what's going on in their lives, what's creating their problems, and what they need to change, not very well. Mm -hmm. So we today as professionals have a lot more understanding and acceptance today of the answers to those questions. I think we're able to educate patients on those things much more effectively Mm. so that if they're willing to listen, right, we get better according to the best of our willingness. Right. If they're willing to listen, uh, there is now much better capacity in treatment to really be able to enter into understanding, which leads to acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then do I have the willingness to now do that which I'm understanding and accepting? Mm. And right. for those that do, it's like Bill W. said, you know, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly Fairly followed our path. path. That's yeah. right. Hey, look, you do your part, you're going to get better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at the promises. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Right. And how do they end? Um, Are these extravagant promises? We think think not. not. They will always materialize. 
if, if we work, work. Yeah. for them. Yeah. So it always gets yeah. back to where if we do our part and when we do our part, it works. Mm. And when we're able to effectively teach that to people today in a way that they really can clearly understand mm. and then accept, mm -hmm. they now have a much greater capacity for effective disease management. Wow. wow. Which, in effect, increases the success rates of treatment and reduces the rates of relapse. Love it. So Love it sounds it. like, you know, <clears throat> being able to meet clients where they're at and provide something that's really individualized to each client is something that may be different now in Boy, treatment. That's, that's crucial because right? when you treat them, you know, sardine, cookie cutter, mm -hmm. yeah. and the same approach to everybody, you really ignore the individual and, and mm -hmm. that's a real And I think travesty. that's kind of where treatment originated. It did, right? yeah. was and, from that. Correct. And you never had individual therapy. Everybody right. was kind of treated the same. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you weren't getting with a program, you just weren't in acceptance and surrender. Mm -hmm. You need to let go of control, sit down, shut up. What the hell do you think you know? God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> shut yeah. up and listen. And, <laughs> Heard some you know, of this before. <laughs> that's kind of like, and I'll let them remain unnameless, but this hostile or more confrontational style yes. of of uh, approach mm -hmm. we're realizing today hasn't really worked well. Mm -hmm. The modification. And well, just confrontational, hardcore yeah. in your face. Yeah. Like, you, like I need you to beat me up and make me yeah. feel worse about myself. Addiction hasn't done that in and of itself. Can right. you please degrade me and humiliate <laughs> yeah. me and put me down <laughs> yeah. to break me? Right. You know, uh, it just Boot doesn't camp work. style. So yeah. while we need to be firm and assertive, yeah, you know, hold people accountable, challenge them. We yeah. can also do it with love and compassion Definitely. and yeah. empathy. But I, I really love what you were saying about meeting people where they're at, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I noticed this early in my career when I was doing my internship and I started out um, as a certified, you know, KDAC counselor. So I right. didn't have a master's degree at the time, wasn't a licensed therapist. Right. And I'm interning with psychologists and things of that type. And I would notice them sit down and then tell people what they needed to do. And I'm I'm looking at this, you know, person they're talking to who's just starting out in treatment and their eyes are glazed over. Yeah, and I realize yeah. this person's not connecting with this person. Totally disengaged. They haven't even asked them where they're at and what's important to them. Yeah. Right. And so they're sitting there telling them, here's what you need to do and how you need to do it. And then, the you know, the doctor walks out of the room and I, I look at the person. I say, hey, how you doing? And, oh, man, I'm really not doing well. I said, let me ask you a question. What do you want? Uh, uh, we love that question. Yeah. What do you want? And, and, and then, you know, say something like, oh, I just, you know, I just, I, I don't even want to change, man. I mean, this person sitting here telling me what I need to do to change. He doesn't even know where I'm at, man. Right. I just, I don't want to change. I'm just, I'm, I'm here because my wife has a problem with what I'm doing. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I just, I, I enjoy this and I don't want to change. And I said, well, that sounds really frustrating. Yeah. So, so do we, do we learn to meet somebody where they're at, not impose our agenda on them? Yeah. Some empathy, it for where like we there. think they need to be, but meet them where they're at and yeah. help help them from there. Yeah, oh, I love it, guys. You're listening to the Sober Life Audio Experience. We've got David Gray here dropping bombs. Yeah, love this it. Is, this has been fantastic. Boom, 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 boom. So let's get on the uh, let's get on the other side of the equation here. What's what's not working, or what would you like to see changed? I mean, we kind of dabbled in it a little bit about not meeting people where they're at and the effectiveness of meeting people where they're at. What as a as an industry would you like to see more of or or are you not liking currently? Where are we headed? Yeah. Well, I don't uh, that's something I'd actually have to give some thoughts about just because where I'm at now, I, I think we're doing things so well there and 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 let me be clear about this. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't say that because I work there. I work there because that's true. Uh-huh. It's a, yeah. And I've worked in many different treatment facilities over the last 23 years, and mm-hmm. I found a place called home because we're doing a lot of things right. Yeah. You know, Are there things we can do to improve? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, absolutely there are. But um, – you know, as far as what we can do better as an industry, I don't think I'm really involved enough in the industry to mm. comment on that intelligently. So I wouldn't want to try to sound like I know what I'm talking about with that right. one when I really don't. Okay. Got it. I respect so, that yeah. fully. Cool. Hey, I had to take a class in college called I Don't Know, where you learn to say <laughs> I don't know when yeah. you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I dig it. I won't tell you my grade I got in it, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, going back to, you know, treatment and where it's at today, um, what are some of the things that right now that you see that just in the last maybe five years have really changed the landscape of addiction, you know, studies and recovery treatment? Well, you know, I think one of the things that um, I certainly put a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on is the importance of getting family involved. Mm. And I think one of our failures in the past is we just used to pull, and I'm just going to call it addict because addict alcoholics, the same exact thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's really important not to separate those two. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like a diabetic saying, well, I'm not a diabetic. I'm insulin deficient. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, yeah. okay, alcohol is a drug. It's one of the most powerful drugs in the world. Yeah, correct. And I have a disclaimer here, but truth be told, it's much more deadly, toxic, poisonous, and destructive than heroin mm-hmm. to the body. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not advocating heroin use. <laughs> yeah. It's an incredibly yeah, destructive, disclaimer. deadly, toxic drug, and overdose mm-hmm. deaths, as we're well aware, have more than quadrupled over the last seven, several yeah. years. Opiate yeah. Opiate epidemic. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Seriously, it yeah. is. But, um, you know, we used to kind of pull the addict out of a dysfunctional family system, treat the addict, and then send them back into the same dysfunctional family system. Mm -hmm. And the results generally were not very good. So we're really, I think, much more mindful as as an industry today that we need to treat the family system and engage in the unhealthy dynamics in the family system so that the spouse at home or the partner at home is brought into the process and really begins to understand the changes that are going to need to take place as the family system moves forward. So we do extensive discharge planning. We're setting up appointments with therapists, with couples right. therapists, with psychiatric follow-up, uh, often recommending step down. You know, well, right. great, you've done 30 days of residential. Now you need to do some outpatient for six to eight weeks mm-hmm. and get right. into weekly continuing care. Mm-hmm. We know the longer treatment stretches out, the better efficacy we see, or uh, the, the better sure. results we see. So sure. I've often said this, look, if treatment was seven days, relapse rates would be 100%. Right. It's just not enough time for that yeah. midbrain activation and hypofrontality to settle down. Mm-hmm. You've still got somebody spinning that's upside down crazy and nuts. I mean, look at what addiction is. So we have low frustration tolerance, mm-hmm. poor impulse control, mm-hmm. <laughs> combined with a habituation to instant gratification. Yeah. Other than that, we're doing just fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> and just because somebody comes into treatment, even for 30 days, doesn't mean those things are gone. They're still there. Mm-hmm. Low frustration tolerance, poor impulse control, and they're still habituated towards desiring instant gratification. Yeah. Right? Right. And, and then kind of the idea, too, is, uh, you know, just say no. Did it work? Mm-hmm. Mm. Not, not for me. I don't want to say no. Yeah. No. <laughs> 
Yes, it did not work. Yes, or no, it, it did. did not work. Yes, it did not work. Okay, not that they ever expected that to be the answer to that question, right? I mean, right. just say right. no work, no, because you got to just say yeah. no, right? right? Yeah. But in reality, it did not work. And, and right. the reason is just absolutely profound. Just say no didn't work because it didn't put any focus on what to just say yes to, mm. right? Right. Nature abhors a vacuum. If all we do is stop something, that creates so much tension. We just suck right back into that thing which we've stopped, right. or we return to some other equally unhealthy and destructive behavior. Now we know that as relapse. Mm-hmm. So there's something that treatment, I think, could be doing a more effective job of, and is doing a more effective job of, not just helping people understand this is what you need to just say no to, yeah, but this is what you must say yes to instead in order not to go back to that unhealthy destructive thing yeah right yeah and when you think about recovery really that's what we're doing right we're we're developing these healthy support systems Mm -hmm. so great i come in i know this is what i need to stop i've got a really good friend and i love the way he says it he says if all you're focusing on is not drinking all you're focusing on is drinking And it's absolutely true, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you can't stop thinking about something, I say, well, just stop thinking about it. Right. Yeah. So think about that thing you need to stop thinking about, and you just, it drives you crazy. You need to think about something yeah. else. You know, exactly. Right. You need to think about something else. And and wow. I, I think we're doing a much better job today with understanding, okay, here's what you need to stop doing, but here's what you need to start doing. Well, and, yeah, and that and evokes they, a vision. And get someone fired up, passionate, motivated, excited. Absolutely. And provide different outlets. What creates hope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people come into treatment much more hopeless, Mm -hmm. filled with and connected to despair. Mm -hmm. So one of the very first orders of business is help to create a sense of hope. Mm -hmm. Right. So that hopelessness can turn into hopefulness Mm -hmm. and the disease does not want that to happen. Right. What, What do you do? I mean, isn't... In your experience, how does guilt and shame play a role oh. in working with the addict? <laughs> I mean, how does it not? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, like a lot of times in family program, uh, as I'm doing it, so I'll write two specific words up on the board. So I'll write guilt up on the board. Mm-hmm. And we start family program, the first group's called emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. So it talks about the role of emotion in what's brought us all here today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I try not to use psychobabble, but I'll, I'll throw one at you. Is uh, First, you can sum up all of recovery by saying we need to learn to survive our feelings. Very powerful statement. I think it's very yeah. true. You think of relapse. How, how many times when people relapse, is it be, behind some emotional stress or anxiety or tension oh, yeah. or frustration, yeah. right? Um, so you can sum up all of recovery by saying we need to learn to survive our feelings. Mm-hmm. So you could really look at addiction as a maladaptive emotional regulation disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something I've just made up. I mean, there's <laughs> nowhere in the literature, right? But, you know, <clears throat> so what do we need for to be successful in recovery? Adaptive emotional regulation order. Mm-hmm. Now we're back to guilt. So I'll write that up on the board. Guilt. And then I'll say good or bad. Crickets. So what do you think, guys? Good or bad? Guilt, but I, both. I mean, I think that it serves a purpose. Plays I mean, a we part. we would have we wouldn't have it if it didn't serve a purpose. And I think that there's a a place for it to get us if our conscience is feeling guilty. Maybe that's serving a purpose and directing us toward okay. a state of honesty. Something that we can look at. Bingo! It's a, it's so, a tool. Good answers, right? Yeah. Good answers. And and would you want to be in a relationship that had, with somebody that had no sense of guilt? 
No. Probably not. In fact, our prisons are filled with them, and what do we call them? Psychopaths. Exactly. (laughs) Somebody who has no capacity for guilt or remorse and will do what they want when they want to satisfy their own needs and desires regardless of how anyone else is impacted in the process. Mm -hmm. They're the most dangerous people in society. Mm -hmm. Right? So to not feel guilt when it's healthy to feel guilt is very unhealthy. Mm -hmm. So guilt is neither good nor bad. Guilt simply is. Mm -hmm. Right? But when we don't deal well with guilt, it becomes what? Let me guess here. Morphs into some shame. Bingo. So, <laughs> same question. Shame, good or bad? Well, if I'm following the same logic and the deduction, it's, it's probably neither good nor bad. I mean, it serves maybe it serves or a both. purpose. Okay, it makes sense to follow the same logic on that, okay. but I'm going to put it this way. Shame okay. is always destructive. It's always bad. It's always toxic. Boom, we're here to learn. Right? Because, see, it's not dealing with guilt in a healthy way. Mm. So guilt, here's a good definition of guilt. I did something bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. When I've done something bad or wrong, I should feel guilty. It'd be unhealthy not to. Mm-hmm. Shame, I am something bad or wrong. Mm. And then taking so on I guess the identity. Huh, the question that. would have been fairer if I had given yeah. you the definition of shame first. And then you would realize, no, that's always going to be toxic and destructive. Right. Well, that's why we brought you in, David. Right. Well, then maybe, maybe most people don't know what shame actually is. Right? And I, I think that's fair too. Yeah. Right? So, and then the next one is, and then so right underneath neath the guilt, because we're talking about emotion. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Surviving yeah. our feelings, emotion regulation. So the next one I write up there is anger. Good or bad? Mm-hmm. I think anger can work pretty healthy sometimes in the right okay. situation. But uh, what I know about anger in my experience is usually it's a mask for fear. You guys didn't know I was going to ask you questions, huh? Yeah, no, I <laughs> no, like this. It's good. So, so anger is neither good or bad. Anger simply is. Mm-hmm. And I really agree with what you're saying. And, and the theory on that is anger is a secondary emotion. Mm-hmm. And the theory of a secondary emotion is it arises as a response to a primary emotion. Mm. And for years, I actually said it's fear. Fear is the primary emotion. Here we go. Anger arises as a response to fear as a coping mechanism because right. if we didn't have that as a defense mechanism, we'd curl up in a fetal position and be defenseless. Mm-hmm. So anger empowers us to fight back, you might say, against fear. Mm. And then many years ago, somebody said to me, yeah, but I think it's more than fear. I think it's also hurt, pain, and sadness. Mm-hmm. And I stopped and I thought about that. And it's like, I really agree with that. So that anytime we're getting triggered, hurt, pain, or sadness, or fear, anger arises as a defense mechanism to help us cope with those things. See, that's what defense mechanisms are. And they're mm-hmm. neither good nor bad. Right. They're defense mechanisms that help us to deal with the things going on in life, to right. protect us. Right. Right. right? So, uh, but then I then I had a thought too, and, and sometimes it's like rush hour and I have a hard time slowing these thoughts down and, and <laughs> controlling them, keeping them away from each other. If it's really, it's, if it's really hurt, pain, or sadness that's getting triggered, it's still fear of more hurt, pain, and sadness. Because if I've had a significant history of hurt, of pain, of sadness, yeah. I've been really wounded, I've had some real then trauma. you're afraid of it. Then I'm going to be afraid when it's triggered of, yeah. oh, here it comes again. Yeah. So I think it still really gets yeah. back to fear. Yeah. But I think it's also important to open it up to say, you know, fear, hurt, pain, and sadness because anger management is a real misnomer. Mm-hmm. We don't need anger management. We need fear, hurt, pain, and sadness management. Mm-hmm. 
And as we learn how to cope more effectively with those underlying issues, guess what happens to the anger? As big of a problem. It goes away. Mm -hmm. Because it's no longer needed. Mm. Now, if I've got two primary coping mechanisms, anger, drug use, anger, drug use, and then you take away my drug use. You're going to be angry. I'm going to be angry. <sighs> you're going to need to replace them. And now here's our dry drunk. Right. Yeah. Right? Restless, yeah. irritable, discontent, bitter, angry, and resentful, yeah. not developing any coping mechanisms, blaming them, they, he, she, or it for all my problems. Mm, right. And just spinning in relapse until I eventually return to the use of some destructive behavior or substance because the reality of existence without them is becoming too painful. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Because I'm not doing what's necessary to deal with it effectively. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a victim, right? Wow. And then many yeah. of us engage in this learned helplessness or chronic victimization, and we got to kind of knock that off. Mm. Or we're simply not going to get better. So uh-huh. I kind of uh, went down some rabbit holes here. No, so that made a lot of sense, so though. Get, that's, yeah, this, that's, this, that's, is, this has been, <laughs> hey, listen, this has been so incredible. It made a lot of it's, sense. It's this episode of, has been, yeah. Well, this is, this this is good is stuff. Good. And, I just, I, I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, we do have to wrap it up here, but before we do, we want to ask you. Can, can I can I finish just <laughs> yeah, one, yeah, one yeah. more quick yes. thought on this? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but I'll, do it. It. I'll do it quickly. Cool. So, when we don't deal well with anger, it becomes what? When we don't like rage, fear. When, what do you mean? When we're when we're expressing it, letting it go. When we don't deal well with anger, it becomes resentment. Of okay. yeah. resentment, yeah. good or bad. Bad. Always toxic. Always yeah. destructive. Yeah. How many people do you think walk through the doors filled oh, with shame God. and resentment? Number one offender, right? Absolutely. Resentment. And we have to work yeah. on that in treatment. And yeah. I'll even wow. tell people, you know, hey, look, the solution to shame is forgiveness. Yeah. And you must forgive yourself. Yeah. Forgiveness of others is optional. Through forgiveness, I set a prisoner free only to discover the prisoner was me. Mm. But you must forgive yourself because you continue to judge, condemn yourself. You're going to have a really hard time getting better and you're going to continue to live in a lot of pain. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, uh, let me turn it back over to you for yeah. your final question. I just, I don't even, that, that was, I was going to say, hey, would you have any more, you know, trinkets of knowledge? But then you, <laughs> but then you just bust out with that. So I think, I think we've sucked you dry. I'm sure you have. I'm just beginning. Believe me, I'm, I'm just I'm beginning. Sure, I'm sure you yeah. have a lot more. I, dude, to just we appreciate you being on. This has yeah. been a great episode. Yeah. I'm sure that our listeners, there's a ton of wonderful information yes. here. We might have to do a round two, episode two. Yeah, you know, you. I would love to. I'd have love you to come, come back, back on in a couple months yeah. or something. Yeah. I would and, love to come back at one. any time, and you know, whatever, yeah. whatever I can do to help continue to spread let's the message. Let's definitely do that. You know, let's do it. We appreciate you. We appreciate what you're doing, yeah. David. Where can our listeners find you? I mean, I don't know if you want to be found, but I know they can find you at Casa <laughs> Palmera. But if, is there any other shout outs you'd like to make, or any other mentions, or? You know, I would even say, you know, uh, I can just be reached by email at david at casapalmera.com. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I, I do a private practice also. I teach at the college here locally. I mean, I'm quite involved in this and in, in recovery, and I just absolutely awesome. love this. Uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, I'm currently in the process of writing down. Eventually, I'll oh, have it as something available to hand out. Good. So, 
I just want to continue to spread Good. the message that recovery is happening. The lie's dead. We do recover. And yeah. yeah we do. Let's, let's continue to do it together. It yes, takes a village, do. right? We need like an audience yeah. applies. Yeah, we're the village. Yeah. Well, we, we love it. And you know, the one thing that we continuously hear in this industry that's something, a piece that is missing that is much needed is collaboration. Mm. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. so that's what we are trying to do. One of the things with this podcast is collaborate. Yeah. Right? Well, we're all in this together. How, how about this? Here's if one it's the, to be, it's up to me yeah. or it's up to us. Yeah. Because yeah. see, this is this will be one of the final things I'll end with. The things I still cannot do today by myself in my life, I know that we always can. Mm. And that's where the strength and power is. It's in us. It's in mm-hmm. we. It's yeah. in the fellowship. And it's my yes. responsibility to connect to the we in my life. Yes. And as long as I do that, we will always be successful in my life just for today, staying clean and sober one mm. day at a time, no matter what. No matter what. I love it. This it's, has been another episode of the Sober Life Audio Experience. Thank you. Thank you. Come again. Thanks for having me. <laughs>